Matter. I'm Sean McCraney. If you are LDS or Christian or Catholic or Buddhist, Muslim, atheist, we welcome you to the show where we talk about God. Pray that the light of Christ will shine in here today and in your hearts. A shout out to some old friends that I've ran into because of different circumstances this past week who are LDS or not. Linda R., who lives here in Salt Lake City, great to see you after so many years. Andy Triple A., my friend in uh, California, great to see you. Andy was an old mission companion. Nancy M. in Oklahoma, a shout out to you, Nancy, and for uh, your support of uh, Heart of the Matter. Dennis Hansen here in Salt Lake, a great supporter. Roger, I know you're watching, a great supporter. And uh, Gordon and Chris, thank you so much for your support of the book. We love you all. We had a question last week on the LDS returning to Missouri. Uh, quickly, from the Millennial Messiah, Bruce R. McConkie's book, he says, We now come to the least known and least understood thing connected with the second coming. It is might well be termed the best kept secret set forth in the revealed word. It is something about which the world knows nothing. It is a doctrine that has scarcely dawned on most of the Latter-day Saints themselves. And yet it is set forth in Holy Writ and in the teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith with substantially the same clarity as any of the doctrines of the kingdom. That's from the Millennial Messiah, page 578-579. It's talking about Adam on Diamond. Adam on Tiamon. That's what it means. That's what the word is. And what it literally means, according to LDS prophets and apostles, is a land or place where God dwelt with Adam. And it's talking about a place in Missouri. Adam on Diamond is in Missouri, and Mormons will gather there. That doctrine hasn't gone away, that belief that someday there will be a call for a gathering of the saints back to Adam on Diamond. And finally, during the time of Joseph Smith, Adam on Diamond was referred to as Spring Hill. I find, I find that so uh, amusing for some reason. Adam on Diamond was also known as Spring Hill. Okay. Um, also, we had a question that we haven't answered, and I want to do that. People ask, once I'm reborn, once I ask Jesus into my heart, um, is there something that... What do I need to do to follow up on that? What, what can I do? What, what needs to happen? And, and what needs to happen in your life are a few things. You need to, with your regenerated spirit, even if it's a very small, small regeneration, it's not some miraculous thing, or if it's a miraculous thing, you still are going to do the same things. You're going to continue to talk to your Heavenly Father. You're going to go boldly before the, the throne, and you're going to speak to Him as your Papa, as your, as your daddy, and you're going to talk to him as your friend and the person who you can trust. And you're also going to start reading the Word, the Bible. And I just recommend that you open the Bible and start reading in John, Gospel of John, and just read a chapter a day or whatever the, however the Spirit leads you. And then I would suggest you find fellowship in a good Christian church that suits your needs, like we talked about earlier. Those things will help you mature in the word so that you're not a seed thrown on stony ground where the cares of the world can devour you up or the hot sun can wither you away. All right? Since March of this year, I have taken nearly 70 airline flights, two a week. On the majority of these flights, I have the opportunity to sit by LDS people. We're able to talk openly under the auspices of relative anonymity. They don't believe they'll ever see me again. They don't know who I am, and and I probably won't see them again. I hear their thoughts and have a wonderful opportunity to listen to their ideas about the church and their allegiance to it. Last week, I said that our ministry is specifically interested in reaching those LDS who are struggling. After the show, a man who goes by Bob posted a remark on our message board. This is what Bob wrote. It makes me sick that Sean wants to specifically seek out those who are struggling. Let me approach this quickly, genuinely, realistically, and uh, impractically. There is a huge number of people in this state alone who fit one one or more of these descriptions about being Mormon, okay? The first one, they were born LDS, they consider themselves LDS, their family is LDS, and they have absolutely no idea 
what the church even teaches. They attend holidays and funerals. They have simply never been embraced by the people in the church or they have never embraced the religion. That's one group. Another group is there are people who have fallen out of Mormonism because of their sin nature. They smoke or they drink or they have illicit sexual problems or they, they have problems with lying or there's some kind of sin nature in them that keeps them so guilty that they are distanced from Mormonism right from the get-go and they wallow in this guilt and probably more and more sin not having God, not having Jesus, not having the Word, not having anything. They're just a fallen Mormon. That's what they are in their life, their spiritual life. Then there's people who long to know Jesus and have a personal relationship, and they try and try and try, and they attend every week, week after week, but they're in a virtual cloud because they know they have no relationship with Jesus as they sit in the pew. And then there are the active, the righteous, the diligent members who are doing their duties. They're, they're with their families. They're clean cut. They're accomplished. Their spouses hold important positions. And they have been obedient to everything that has been asked of them. And they are dead and hollow inside. They have no spiritual light. They do the works. They do everything. They meet the outside measurements. But inwardly, they're full of dead, dried bones. Yes, Bob, we call out to the struggling because they need something besides what the religion does not offer them. That need is a personal regenerative relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what it is. And if, if introducing people to a regenerative relationship with Jesus Christ is a bad thing in your book, I think you need to rewrite your book and see really what our motives are. I said this on the second show uh, so many months ago. If you are a stalwart LDS who believes everything in the church and you think that you've got it covered and you have all the truth and you are headed to the celestial kingdom to become a God with your wife or wives or with your husband and your family and you don't want to hear anything, then we have nothing to say to you. I really don't. I preach Jesus and Jesus alone as the only way and you have to be born again to know him. And when you are born again, your life will change and your views on what the, the church gives you will change as well. You may decide to stay Mormon. I don't know. Uh, that's pro probably you won't, but you may decide. But nevertheless, your relationship to God will change. Okay? One other thing along these notes, we have a lot of kind of things. I want to read from the Salt Lake Tribune. Uh, Peggy Stack Fletcher wrote this on October 2nd, and she gave a summary of the... Um, general conference and then she says and i'm quoting boyd k packer acting president of the quorum of the 12 apostles said many people still oppose the lds church she quotes him there are misinterpretations and misrepresentations of us and of our history some of it means spirited and certainly contrary to the teachings of jesus christ and his gospel packer said continuing the quote sometimes clergy and even ministerial organizations oppose us we do not attack or criticize or oppose others as they do us. The strangest of all, Packers said, is, quote, otherwise intelligent people claim we are not Christian. This shows that they know little or nothing about us. He continues, you cannot lift yourself by putting others down. I want to say to Boyd K. Packer, who makes these pronouncements to millions of people watching the show, that you are not Christian. Christianity is defined by the Bible, Boyd K. Packer, not by what Joseph decided to add to the Bible in 1820 through 1844. Christianity is about Christ. It's not about other things. And we can tell, I can tell, having been a Mormon for 40 years, whether uh, Mormonism is Christian or not. So what you are saying to your people deserves attack. And as far as you never attacking, your whole church is built upon attacking Christianity from the get-go. When your missionaries go to a door and say that you have all the truth, the only truth that can get people back to God, you are tacitly attacking Christianity every time. When you say that we don't have the correct concept of Jesus Christ, that we don't have the correct concept of God, that our Bible is fallible and full of mistakes, you are constantly attacking the body of Christ. So when you come up with your nice political speech that you give, I know this is sounding harsh, but it angers me, and you act like you guys do nothing of the sort, it's just not true.
And so now you have people who stand up and say, we're not going to take that anymore. The body of Christ is going to represent what true Christianity is, and we're going to compare it to Mormonism right here in your hometown. Okay, uh, we've got a rush. Uh, only have a little bit of time, and let's go to have a prayer. Heavenly Father, I'm a little bit uh, aggressive right now, Lord, and uh, because I've dealt with some things uh, this week, and the, the emails we're getting, and the things that people are saying, and and we want you to know, Lord, that we love you and we fall uh, before you and ask your grace and love to be with us as we do this show now. Be with the people at home that they can feel or sense uh, through your spirit what is going on. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, uh, we talked about the war in heaven. We talked about the blacks and the priesthood. We talked about angels and Lucifer being a created angel. Uh, in the chronology of LDS theology, we know what God has uh, done uh, as far as not being able to break outside of eternal laws and principles, as far as creating the earth and spirit children out of pre-existent matter. We know, uh, I've discussed everything in the past two shows of what happened in this pre-existence. And uh, Michael was an archangel in the pre-existence, and he helped Jesus create and form the earth in LDS theology, and when it was done, Michael became the first Adam. He became Adam. And then God created Eve, and we have the, the couple, the biblical couple, Adam and Eve. Uh, God gave Adam and Eve two commandments in LDS theology, two conflicting commandments in their view. One of the commandments God gave them was to multiply and replenish the earth. Another commandment that he gave them was not to partake of the tree of the fruit of uh, knowledge of good and evil. So he gave them two commandments in LDS theology. Um, we're presented in this situation with the first catch-22 in the Bible, according to Mormonism. Because Adam and Eve in Mormon theology were as innocent as little children, and they had no idea how to multiply and replenish the earth. They were innocent, and they had no knowledge of how to do that act to create children. And so they roamed around in this Garden of Eden, obeying God uh, in the fact that they didn't partake of the, the knowledge of good and evil, that, that tree, but they also didn't have a knowledge of good or evil, and so they couldn't multiply and, and procreate and replenish the earth. So we have a catch-22. It's a conundrum. And, and what happened was, in, in LDS thinking, Satan came and he, he told uh, Eve, you've got to do this, you'll get knowledge. And Eve figured it out, in essence. She said, you know, we are roaming around here in this garden and we're not really progressing in our relationship as a couple, so I will partake of this fruit and gain the knowledge necessary to know what I'm supposed to do next. So she does it, and then her eyes are opened, and then she says, now I see, okay, well, I'm, uh, I've blown it here, and I'm going to die. I'm going to be kicked out of the garden, and Adam is going to be left here like an innocent child because he didn't partake of the fruit. So she goes to Adam, and she gets him to eat of the fruit, and Adam eats of the fruit. His eyes are open, and so they've disobeyed God in order that they can multiply and replenish the earth to have the knowledge to do that. And uh, by doing that, they're able to bring the spirits that were created, you and I and everybody, the trillions of kids, down here to have mortal bodies. So the, the interesting thing about that is, is in the pre-existence, I, I kind of imagine, what were we doing? We're spirit children, we're watching Adam and Eve, and we're praying they're going to disobey God. We're hoping that they'll disobey Him so that they will fall and that they will go and then be able to know how to create children, and that gives us an opportunity to come down to the earth. Do you understand what, what this whole system is, is telling you have to do? Now, LDS say that Adam and Eve didn't sin, that they transgressed, and uh, that this transgression was, um, is not sin. It's, they didn't have the knowledge of good and evil, so when they took of the fruit, it couldn't have been a sin, it was just a, merely a transgression because they didn't know what the ramifications would be of their taking that fruit in the first place. I want you to know that the scriptures teach us uh, a very different version of what transgression is. In fact, let me see if I can find it here. Uh, here it is. John 3, 
4. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. Now listen to this, Latter-day Saints. For sin is the transgression of the law. There's no difference between the two. Adam and Eve transgressed the law, and that was sin. Whether purposefully or in ignorance, they transgressed the law and they sinned. Um, did this sin bring happiness and joy to the earth? Did it bring families can be forever and uh, God's plan of salvation enact that and allow these children to come from the spirit world and now get bodies and move forward? No. Sin brings death. Again, a biblical passage, Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Adam and Eve transgressed God's law. Why? Because they did things their own way instead of walking with God and learning from Him. This has been the problem of man since the beginning. This is the problem with us now. Instead of turning to God and learning how to walk and what to do, we turn to our own flesh, our own will, our own ways, our own ideas about this is going to make more sense, and that is sin. Okay? Sin brings death. 1 Corinthians 15, 21. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Death is never a good thing in the Bible. I never see God saying, I'm going to reward you with death. Or death is a, look forward to death coming. It's a great thing. Death is always a negative. To LDS, it's not. To LDS, it's part of the progressive process of now that we've proven ourselves here, we die and then we go on to progress. But death was never intended by God. And it was brought because of the sin of Adam and Eve, not the transgression and part of the plan. Can you see the contrasted elements here in these stories? One man, Adam, brings death. Another man, Jesus, brings hope from death. In Adam, all die. In Christ, all are made alive. Now, the Book of Mormon summarizes the LDS thoughts on the fall, and it's one of the divergent passages where the Book of Mormon is in conflict with the Bible. And it's in 2 Nephi 2.25. It says, Adam fell that men might be, and men are that they might have joy. In other words, Adam, unless Adam fell, unless he fell and he sinned, then we could not be. We would not exist. And then he goes on to say that the reason mankind exists is to have joy. And to Latter-day Saints, that means to have progeny, to have family, big families, eternal families. That's the joy of being, uh, going with God's plan. But what does the Bible say about Adam's contribution to the world? Let's go one more. Romans 5, 12 through 21. I'm going to skip, but just listen to these verses, and then we're going to cut it. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And then we jump to verse 18. Therefore, as by the offense of one, talking about Adam, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Do you hear that? As by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, Jesus Christ, the free gift came upon all men into justification of life. Finally, verse 19, listen to this. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Okay? By one man's disobedience, we were all made sinners. This was not a fall upward, Latter-day Saints. This was a fall downward. And it is the reason why we have the suffering and the evil and the sickness and the death and the hearts that we have at birth, it's because of that fall. And you've been taught a, a fable when it comes to the, uh, the fall of Adam. The parallels are clear. I praise God that Jesus came and he redeemed us from the fall. He didn't come just to help us with atonement for the sins. He brought back, he, he bought back the deed to the earth. He got it back from Satan through his death and resurrection. Okay, we're going to finish up. Uh, this last comparison. 
Over the past three weeks, we have learned that Mormonism teaches that God operates under eternal laws and principles that even He didn't create. But the Bible teaches that God is the first and the last. Uh, Mormonism teaches that God cannot create matter. But the Bible teaches God created all things, laws, principles, and matter. Mormonism teaches that God was once a man and he and his wife or wives progressed under these laws and principles to becoming gods. But the Bible teaches that there is one God and there is no God before or after him. Mormonism teaches that God and his wives uh, form spirit children out of pre-existing spirit matter. The Bible teaches that God created man out of the dust of the earth and breathed his spirit into him, giving him life. Mormonism teaches that Satan rebelled, uh, that Jesus, Satan, you and I were some of Heavenly Father's, uh, Heavenly Parents' spirit children. Um, the uh, Bible teaches Jesus as God incarnate, who created Satan as a cherub and formed us from the dust of the earth. Finally, Mormonism teaches that Adam and Eve fell upward in their disobedience and should be praised for what they did. The Bible teaches that Adam brought sin and death into God's perfect creation and handed the deed to this world over to Satan as the result, causing Jesus to need to come here and get it back through his life and suffering. Boyd K. Packer says, if you don't realize we're Christian, you don't know what we believe. I think you can make a judgment for yourself on statements like that. All right, let's go to the phone. Before we do that, I wanna read some emails while we're waiting for the operators. We have one call, but I'll go to it in a second. Uh, this is from a man named Joseph. Uh, and it says, it's a very long email, but I want to get to the heart of the matter. You say you present truth. You are a liar. You are a viper. You slither into people's hearts to deceive them. I uh, look upon your countenance and see darkness. I say, woe unto you, woe unto you. And then he says, I am like Book of Mormon characters, Sherem, uh, Amul Amulonites, Amalekites, Zoramites, and Zeezrom. And I just want you to know that that this type of thinking is typical of LDS, and I want to give you a really quick historical of who these guys are. First of all, Sherem was an antichrist character in the Book of Mormon, okay? And he was stricken dead for being an antichrist. I am anything but an antichrist, so therefore comparing me to Sherem is uh, wrong. Zoram taught the people to worship idols. I do anything but people to teach people to worship idols. So comparing me to Zoram uh, was ineffectual, uh, Joseph, in your email. You should know your Book of Mormon before you make claims and make comparisons. They just don't hold water. The uh, Amalekites were after the order of Nehor. Nehor was a model for universalism. That's one of the modern-day uh, uh, applications Joseph used the Book of Mormon to answer. Nehor was a universalist. He taught that all men had eternal life. That's in your Book of Mormon. I don't teach that all men have eternal life. So again, your comparison is false. We could go through every single one of them. The uh, uh, Zezrum, Zezrum, he taught people to deny God. I do anything for people to deny God. So listen, if you're going to take the time to write these long emails and, and attack and uh, stuff, have your facts right about what you even believe before you do it. All right, we're going to Lucy and Logan on line two. Lucy, you're on Heart of the Matter. Sean, hi. Hi, how are you? Good. I live for your show. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> I, want, I want to thank you and the others for your thoughts and your prayers, and that means so much to me. And I do have your callers in my, you and your callers in my thoughts and prayers. Oh. I, I do have a comment. Yes. Okay. Joseph Smith isn't here to say, I am guilty, I lied, I'm a sinner and I'm so sorry. But Gordon B. Hinckley is alive, and wouldn't it be nice if he would say, we are guilty, we are sinners, and we are sorry. Oh. And this could bring so many more people to the Jesus of the Bible. Amen. Lucy, yes? tell me, what do you think would happen to the 13 million, 7 million active, let's say, 7 million active Latter-day Saints if Gordon B. Hinckley stood up and made that announcement? I think they would all have nervous breakdowns. Do you? <laughs> wow. Well, that's a divergent thought. I think that they don't, I think they wouldn't care. I really do. I think most of them, now there may be some that have, who have really cared and they, you're right about them. But I think yeah. the majority of them would just say, 
Well, okay, it's kind of like they did with Mark Hoffman in the Salamander letters. Oh, he, he talked to a Salamander, okay. You know, I don't think they care. Maybe not. But, you know, you may be right. Lucy, how's the progress? Are you coming to know the Lord more and more? Yes, it is. And I've been, my daughter is visiting here from out of state, and awesome. uh, she wants to say hello. Okay. And, uh, but I want to thank you, Sean, for helping me find Jesus. Oh. And you are a great teacher. Thanks, Lucy. And here's my daughter, Margaret. Okay, Margaret. Hi, Sean. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing fine. What, what state did you come from? Uh, Tennessee. Tennessee. Wow. All the way from Tennessee. Wow, awesome. Yeah, and uh, my husband and I, uh, we have been reading your book. Oh. And uh, we think that you have hit the bullseye. Wow, thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thank and you so much. Uh, we've been sharing your book uh, with others uh, out in Tennessee. Well, fantastic. If you need more, email me and I'll ship them right out to you. Okay, excellent. And yeah. I just, uh, in your book, mm -hmm. uh, you make an excellent point in your chapter on Jesus uh -huh. uh, in regards to grace. Yeah. And I, what a slap in the face uh, it must be to Christ when man starts adding works to something that Christ himself said, it is finished. Amen. Amen, Margaret. Okay. Yeah. And I do have a question. Yes. Okay. Uh, as a Mormon growing up, I was taught that there are spirit children waiting to receive a body. Yes. And as a woman, considering whether or not to have children, mm -hmm. uh, is it biblical to bring more children into this world? Is it biblical to bring more children in? You mean relative to spirits waiting for them to be born? Well, no, sir. Just, I mean... I love being called sir. That's <laughs> it's a southern term. <laughs> okay, ma'am, go ahead. <laughs> well... I'm, I guess what I'm doing is I'm debating whether or not I should have children, and it's confusing being taught that there are spirit children. I understand that there are not, Yeah. but is it biblical to have children? Yeah, it's, it's very biblical for a, a husband and wife to have children, mm -hmm. but uh, there are couples who uh, didn't seem to. I mean, you look at Abraham and Sarai, if it wasn't for the Lord stepping in, they would have had none. So, you know, I don't think it's a command um, there, I, I don't even believe marriage is a command, to tell you the truth. But I think that if you do marry, I, don't think, I think the Lord loves children. I think there, it's a, um, to have a quiver full of them, as Psalm says, it's a, it's a wonderful thing. It's a great blessing. Mm -hmm. But I don't think there's a command that you must. Okay. Yeah. I may be wrong on that. If I'm wrong, call and tell me, uh, anybody, and I'll correct myself. Okay, excellent. All right, Margaret, thanks so much. You're sure welcome. God bless. God bless you. Bye-bye. We're going to Micah in Boise, first-time caller. Micah, you're on Heart of the Matter. Micah? Uh, yeah. You're on, brother. Oh, how's it going, brother? Doing well. How are you? Doing good. Um, I had a question. You we were talking earlier about God and his body. Uh-huh. How he doesn't have a body. Right. Um, then he kind of said something that seemed to be contradictory. He said that, that through God all things are possible. Mm-hmm. And so I'm... You know, if that's true, then what would him having a body have to do with him not being able to create the world or the universe or to govern it or, or all well, that? I don't, philosophically, I don't know the answer to your uh, question, but I, all I can say is the Bible says, Jesus said, God is a spirit. And you must worship him in spirit and in truth. So I just go by what the Bible says, and, and so I don't, I don't take that any further by direct revelation or what someone else tells me. The Bible tells me he's a spirit, and I believe that. Okay. And I guess being an ex-Mormon, you should know that they believe that he has a spirit as well, just as you are a spirit and I'm a spirit. You know, I, I don't know. Are you trying to say that he doesn't have or that we don't have spirits? or? Oh, no, I'm not trying to say that. But I'm trying to say that if you look at the Bible, not just that reference, but you look at it as a whole, and you look at the, uh, the evidences where the Hebrews used anthrop anthropomorphic terms to describe God, that's all they were. And uh, the, you can go to the Jews, if you want, and you can say, does God have a body? And they're going to say no. You can go to the Muslims and say, does God have a body? They're going to say no. I mean, no, no major religious group, Christians obviously say no, believe that God has a body. Mormons didn't believe God had a body until Joseph Smith redefined his theology 
based on the first vision. And around uh, 10 years after he supposedly had the first vision, he started saying that he saw God who had a body. But that wasn't even in his repertoire of, of uh, doctrine until then. So the Mormons base all of their beliefs in God having a body on Joseph Smith's first vision. And if you look at the accounts of that, uh, the early accounts, he didn't even say God had a body then. He doesn't have a body. He, what, let me ask you this, uh, Micah. What good would intestines do the God of the universe who keeps just innumerable stars and planets zipping around gravity creates everything. What good are intestines going to do him? What good do fingernails and, and lungs do him in the atmosphere he lives in? I mean, you got to break away from the, from the things you've been taught and try to look at the scriptures and help them teach you. He, he's, well, Jesus was the one who became incarnate. He's the one who got the body to come down as God incarnate. But God the Father does not have a body. Neither does the Holy Ghost. Why would he get rid of them? Why would who get rid of what? Or say Jesus. I guess you say Jesus doesn't have a body. No, Jesus now. has a body. He took it with him. So That's in the Bible. We know that he ascended into heaven at the ascension. So we know Jesus has the body. Okay, so can... Uh, so so uh, if you have a body and a spirit, isn't that greater than just a spirit? Because no, uh, the body, the flesh, is never thought of as great in the Bible. The flesh is always considered a negative. That's Mormon theology that says, you know, hey, the body's a great thing. You know, never in, never in uh, this fallen flesh ever is it a good thing in the Bible. Why did, why did the spirits want to, to inhabit a body when they, when they ran into the mess of pigs? Uh, why did the spirits? Because they wanted to take possession of their souls. They wanted to take possession of them. They can't take possession when they're outside of them. Well, I think I think we'll have to disagree on that. But we can. I just I don't know. I just think you should kind of be ashamed of yourself for. Uh, now now I get the chiding. No, you give me all the I'm, questions and then you give me the chiding. Oh, no, can't you chide me first? Can you let me finish? Yeah, you can. Go okay. ahead. Well, uh, you can't see me, but I'm smiling right now. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's great. I'm, that's good. I'm smiling too. Okay, chide me. Now, <laughs> but um. Just, you know, being in a, an ex-LDS member, you should, I mean, you know what, what we teach, and uh, I've watched your show a few times. I hope I could say I'm the only LDS that watches your show, but I doubt it. But uh, I don't think so, my friend. <laughs> I know. I've noticed that. But um, it seems to me like you're just, you know, teaching a bunch of half-truths, and I know, I know I've, there's other Mormons that watch it, and, you know, some things you say are, are halfway true, and, and you you seem to mis misguide people on, and don't really explain it all the way. Well, you know, part of that may be true as far as explaining it all the way, but there's a few reasons for that. One, it's a show that we have to keep going. It's really a show to prompt people to search for themselves. I, you know, I could sit here, and I, I'm not a scholar. I, I give you the best I have, and there are things I'm going to miss. There are pastors who are far more informed than I am. And you go to and, and talk to pastors and do the study for yourself. This is a show, you know. I can't yeah. give I can't give you exhaustive representation of theology. Well, I know that, and I, I don't expect you to. But it seems to me like that you're purposely leaving stuff out, or you're purposely no. I'm really not. I'm just really trying to cover the essentials, uh, the essential truths that I've come to know. And I do. I very rarely have any Christians say, "Hey, you're not covering the essentials as they are in the Bible." Every now and then, there's a little thing here or there. But I'm covering what Christians believe. You may think that it's only a partial truth, but really it's essentially what Christians believe. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, I hope this gets on, on the air, but I challenge all your listeners to truly go to an active member and, and maybe even sit down with missionaries and ask them the questions and let them fully kind of explain the best that they can. Well, can you, before you say that, and I think this is important, I'm sorry, audience, that this has gone on a while, but the Mormons have this fallacious belief that if you want to know about a Ford, go to a Ford dealer, and they use that, that thing quite often. If you want to know a Chevy, why would you go to a, another dealer? Go to the Chevy dealer. I propose to you that you don't. 60 Minutes doesn't go to the criminal and say, tell us everything you did. They go to the other people who knew the criminal, who've been with the criminal, and know the story to get the straight shot. I don't believe that your, your methodologies of asking the missionaries over is viable. When the missionaries come to me, they're the ones who soft sell the gospel. You have people joining your church who don't know that Joseph Smith was a polygamist. Now, how's that possible? You claim that I don't give you the full shot when your missionaries do that more than anybody else on earth. You're the pot calling the kettle black. 
I give you everything I can about Mormon history. I give you documentation. I back it up. And your missionaries and your guy, your leadership, when they stand up in general I'm conference, sure doesn't do the same. They don't do the same. Not sure why you're yelling. But. Well, I'm yelling because I'm in passion, and I don't like stuff that's portrayed when it's not true. So, and it's not yelling. It's just I, simply I don't, emphatic. I don't as well, and that's why I just. Missionaries do not give the full truth, and you know that. You gave people a call out here on our show and said, hey, I invite you to, to ask the missionaries to come give you the full truth. Let, that, let them ask the missionaries. That is the biggest bunch of bull I've ever heard in my life. Sorry, Micah. All right, man, we're going to go. This will get on the air, though, so watch. All right, we're going to John and Magna on line four. John, you're on Heart of the Matter. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Pretty good. All right, man. John, you're on the air. How you doing? I'm doing all right. Um, are you going to answer, brother? Yeah, yeah. Okay, what are you going to say? I'm going to say, I'm going to, first I'm going to question about those missionaries. What about them? Um, that they don't, they don't ever uh, tell the, uh, the actual true story about the Bible. About the Bible? Yeah, they don't read the Bible to you. They go straight to the Book of Mormon or Pearl of Great Price. Yeah. They, they have a completely mechanized system of uh, integrating investigators into the Mormon church. And they have things that they discuss and things that they don't discuss. You'll well, see, when, when, I, uh, when I was uh, always, you know, I've grew up in Utah my life, but I'm not a Mormon. Uh -huh. And when I've gotten Mormons to come over to my house, uh -huh. you know, to, to learn about the Bible, yeah. they, they'd never teach about the Bible. No. You know what I mean? And, and what, what, happen, what happens is, is they don't even know most of the stuff that's in the Bible. Right. I mean, they don't read the Bible and study it completely before they even try to, to, to learn about anything else. Most do not. Well, they've been taught that it's you know, not completely reliable. It has to be translated correctly. And when they wonder about how viable it is, how much time are you going to spend reading a book that you don't know what word is true and what word is not? Well, so, see, you know, if the, if the only thing they study is the Book of Mormon and the Pearl of Great Price and all those other books, they're not really... <laughs> They're not really Christians. They're 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 Mormons. They're Mormons, right? <laughs> there's a totally difference, but there, there's a big difference between a Christian and someone who believes in Christ and Christ's followings and his teachings, and then someone who believes in other uh, other prophets that the Bible says that there will be no prophet after me or before me. Yeah, yeah, you're right about that, John. Uh, just so that we can. Uh, fend off the calls that are going to come in from the LDS or the emails. They do study the Bible. But yeah, they, I've studied the Bible, the Quran. I've studied... No, John, I'm talking about the Mormon people. Do study the Bible. There's seminary classes. They do have Sunday school classes and things that study the Bible. But when I say study, what they do is they do a very light reading of certain passages. They go through it quickly, and it's usually those passages that support what Mormons believe. Oh, I know that. Yeah. That's, uh, that's another thing I don't get. Yeah. I mean, why would, why would uh, someone only read the passages that support their book and their view when any, more, any person can, can write a book that makes it coincide with the Bible that way? Yeah. Good stuff, man. I really appreciate the call. All right, thanks. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Right. Uh, want to make a comment to you about uh, this very topic. It's kind of a general comment, but Mormons insist on saying they're Christian. I read a quote from, from one of their 12 apostles uh, who says that, that if you don't think they're Christian, then there's something wrong with your intelligence. And um, I, I want you to know that, that John brought up a good point. Christianity is, is from the Bible, and the world is filled with Christians. There are millions and millions and millions of Christians, and there are probably millions who have given their life for their beliefs. Mormonism is Mormonism. If Latter-day Saints called the show and started saying, hey, the, the Doctrine and Covenants, the practice of polygamy is true, this, I wouldn't argue with them. I'd say, oh, good, I'm glad to hear you're saying what the truth is. But the problem is, is they're coming out and saying, we are Christian, we are Christian. They knock on your door. Hi, we're representing the Church of Jesus Christ, and they're showing a picture of Jesus. And it's not till after you join and after you've got, done all those things that you go through the temple and you start seeing things that are going on. So that's part of the point. All right, David and Leighton. Uh, first time caller on line three. David, you're on Heart of the Matter. I had a question about the Bible that I'm using. Yes. I wanted to know if I could, if it was okay to use the Mormon version of the King James, or if they've edited or done anything to it. No, it's not edited at all. And, uh, 
you know, if you can buy one of those for 50 cents at a, at a, a DI, you know, why not, I guess. The only problem with it is if you look down, you're going to see footnotes from the JST, which is the Joseph Smith translation. And he takes things. We were just talking about this earlier with a friend of mine. He takes like John 1.1 and he adds on it and makes it really big and redefines what the whole thing means. That would be the only problem of using it. Otherwise, it is the King James Version of the Bible. Okay, and um, why do you think Joseph Smith did all this, created all this? You know, a great book about that is Dan Vogel's book, Making of a Prophet. And in summation of that, kind of encapsulate for you, Joseph Smith uh, came from a very unique family. Uh, his, and we're going to cover this in 2007. By the way, let me make this announcement. Don't go. Let me make this announcement. In 2007, starting on January 2nd, we're going to go through the history of the church on our show for the first 20 minutes. I'm going to go through Joseph Smith's early life, his youth, everything about that so you can learn everything that's documented about church history instead of just hearing the message that you're doing. That's going to start in 2000, and we're going to spend that year and, and analyzing that in an entertaining and exact way. But Joseph came from a grandparents who were very unique, a father who was a universalist, had a drinking problem, liked to go out and find treasure. Uh, his mother was a very religious person. They had a family dynamic that was insane. They lived in a religious community that was in crazy with religion. They lived in a community that believed in, in uh, not sorcery, but maybe somewhat of sorcery, talking to spirits and using stones to see things. It was a mat, and his response was a combination of all these things. He had a brother die. A preacher went to his mom's house and said he he didn't go to heaven because he wasn't baptized. He needed to answer those questions for her solitude. I mean, there's a whole bunch of um, psychological factors and emotional factors and religious factors that play into who made Joseph Smith. He was no hayseed. He was not a dummy. He was a very intelligent, creative man, and he was persuasive as heck. And he just formulated this in process. And you can see that it wasn't suddenly, you know, everything. It, it built upon itself, and it altered and changed, and, and uh, that's why he did it. Wow. He couldn't succeed as a money finder, as a, uh, and he couldn't succeed in uh, seeking treasure, but he certainly succeeded very quickly in announcing that there were gold plates buried in the hill, and the rock that he used to seek with, with treasure was the thing he used to translate that gold book that all his treasure-seeking buddies wanted to get a hold of, too. And from that, he just saw eyes opening and saying, let's get on this thing, and he knew, I've tapped into something real. Huh. All right. This, this whole thing started when, you know, I, I, I just started to ask my dad about the Bible, and he's a high priest, and... He really kind of poo-pooed the Bible and like, ah, oh, you don't need to know about all that. And yeah. The Book of Mormon says this, and I thought, well, uh, I don't think that's right. I think the, we should be learning about the Bible first. Yeah, you should move on to any additions to it. You wouldn't believe the anachronistic borrowings that Joseph took directly from the Bible. Can I send you our, our book? Sure. Hey, stay on the line. Our operator will take your address, and I'll send one out to you, and it will help you understand the Book of Mormon and maybe more of Joseph's motives. Okay. All right, hold on the line. All right. If I lose you, call back, but hold on. Okay, still blinking. We're going to Chris in Salt Lake City on line two. Chris, you're on Heart of the Matter. Okay, hey, is this Sean? It is. Hey, Sean, Chris here, and uh, I appreciate you taking my call, first of all. Yes. And my question is, is when someone here on Earth dies, uh, their spirit, does the spirit remain conscious? Uh, if it does, where does it go? If it doesn't, when does it regain consciousness? Uh, is it with the judgment? Um, and then basically how eternal, if, if you go into, um, you know, if, per the Bible, if you go to like the lake of fire, you're conscious in there, you know, your soul. Mm -hmm. um, and if you go to heaven, you know, do you re retain your body? Or is it a complete spiritual um, existence? Yeah. I'm going to hang up and listen to you. Okay, man. Thanks for the question. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Uh, and I hope to give you a, a fairly representative answer. Uh, the only thing we know uh, as far as what happens after this life is absent in the body, for believers, absent in the body, present with the Lord. Now, we also know what Jesus taught as far as parables of the rich man and... and uh, 
and Lazarus. We know that Lazarus went to Abraham's bosom, which was representative of paradise, and that the rich man went to hell, or Hades, uh, or the Abuso, or any of those other words that they use for hell. So the Christian idea is this. If you believe and you've been born again, you know Jesus. When you die, you go to God. You go to Jesus. You go to heaven. And if you uh, don't know them, you go to hell. And that is how I understand it. Uh, again, not completely infallible. And if you have some additional scriptures to share, but as I understand it, that's the Christian uh, theology. Now, I know there is a verse that talks about the dead sleeping and that Mary Baker Eddy or Ellen G. White, one of those two prophetesses, uh, spoke on that sleep. I think it was the Seventh-day Adventist founder of the soul sleep. The soul sleep was really big. And I can't tell you uh, in the Bible how to refute that right now, but if you email me, I can give you that information because we did study that in theology school, and I remember uh, talking about it. Okay, we're going to Ronnie in West Jordan on First Time Caller Online 1. Ronnie, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Thanks for taking my call. You're welcome. First of all, I just want to talk a little bit to Micah in Idaho. Okay. And let him know I've talked to plenty of missionaries. I invite them in. I ask them questions, which they never seem to be able to answer. <laughs> I point out to them in the Bible where the answers are and ask them to go and study those in the Bible and then come back to see me. And none of them ever seem to come back. Yeah. And I just want to tell you what a blessing you are and what a great job you're doing. Well, thanks. Obviously, God has to have his hand on you for you to be able to put up with some of these phone calls. <laughs> he, he has his hand on me because when he takes it off, it's a really ugly scene. Oh, no. <laughs> well, and honestly, your ministry is just, it, it, you found a place here in Utah, and, and there's obviously a need for it because you have a lot of people calling in that are LDS, so they're obviously searching for something, and hopefully you can point them in the right direction. You keep doing the good work you're doing. That's great stuff. Thank you. Someday, you know, you're planting seeds in those missionaries' hearts and minds. I hope so. You are. Yeah. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. We're going to Robin in West Valley on line four. Robin, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. I called in a couple of, well, about last week, so I'm not a first-time caller, but I like your show so much I wanted to call in again and ask you a question. Okay. Now, on... On the Mormon churches, and um, all of them that I've seen, they've got the golden bugle boy yeah. on top of it. And I know they've said that the coming of Christ, the bugle boy will sound. Yeah. What is your opinion on that? Oh, I, I don't think the bugle. Uh, I don't think the bugle on the angel Moroni will sound. They may yeah. mean that uh, figuratively, that they believe that the angel of heaven will come through the skies and blow it. I don't think they mean that those actual gold-leafed trumpets are going to sound. But maybe I'm wrong on that. I've never read that. If, if they do, I stand corrected, but I don't think they believe that. Well, I know that um, many that I've spoke to have said that um, the coming of Christ, the coming of Christ will sound or you'll know the coming of Christ because the Moroni will sound his bugle. Yeah, he's probably speaking of the angel Moroni himself yeah. coming from the heavens. Uh, and I don't believe that for a second because I believe angel Moroni was a, a fictional character. Yeah. yeah. Another thing is on that, in the Bible, it, you know, it, one of the Ten Commandments is not to... Um, Graven images? Yeah. Thank you. Wow. I'm just having real bad brain farts right now. Oh, perfect. Um, not to... Um, and, and you want to know what, it, what that means? Yeah, because yeah. atop it, all of the churches, yeah, they've I, got I, that golden I think Moroni. It's, I think it's uh, unfortunate that there's, uh, there's statues and graven images of Angel Moroni. And, uh, but, uh, you know, some Christian churches use the different statues, too. Uh, maybe it's just part of our fallen nature. Really appreciate the call. Keep listening. Call back. Okay. God thanks. bless. Bye-bye. Okay, we are going to Jessica on line two. Boise, first-time caller. Jessica, you're on Heart of the Matter. You have one and a half minutes. Oh, okay. Sorry. Um, okay, I'm calling. We watched a film called The Godmakers. Yeah. And um, we learned that the word Mormon um, means gates of hell. And um, we, we were just wondering if there is um, any satanic links to Mormonism. 
Um, yeah, that, that's basically yeah. my question. Well, uh, there's two answers to that. Um, one is anything that's not of the Lord probably has ties to the dark forces of this world. And so that's the first and uh, clear answer. And that includes in my own life. So when, when I'm not with the Lord, if I, then I'm probably having uh, satanic influences on me. Um, but especially of the institution as well. The other answer is, I don't know. And in fact, you got to be very careful. Uh, Ed Decker, he's written me an email, and he's uh, thanked for the ministry we're doing and stuff, but he jumped to some conclusions. I don't think that it's scientifically proven uh, or, or linguistically proven that uh, Moroni or Mormon means what he said it means. And I think you just have to be careful on those things. There's some interesting ties to uh, some of the symbolism of Satanism with uh, uh, what's used in Masonic imagery as well. And you can see that on the outside of the Salt Lake Temple and things. There's that. But I think they were symbols of other things before they became symbols of Satanism. Uh -huh. I, I'm, it's kind of a vague answer, but I just uh, I try to avoid t making ties like that because of uh, how much it just automatically offends very good people who are in the Mormon church trying to do their best and work their way back to God, not knowing that they're blinded by uh, the theologies of the church and that it's much easier uh, through Jesus. Right. right. Does that help? A little bit, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Hey, uh, you know, there's some things on the website, uh, not on our website, but on other websites you can find about ties to that. Might be of help to you. If you email me, I'll give you those links. Okay, thank you. God bless you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Next week we are, I promise, unless I'm killed or can't come here, we are going to talk about the virgin birth. Uh, stay tuned uh, next week to come to Heart of the Matter at 8 o'clock, and let's talk about the things of the Lord relative to Mormonism. God bless you. I'm on a ride going nowhere. I am an existential cowboy on the wind And I won't be coming out, I'm going in This man's awake, a storm's arising The dawn's awaiting till the hundred monkeys know and I can feel the 